Well, that was my next question, actually, because I know that uh, when you discussed the look of the show, you guys were um, influenced partly by uh, two great ASC cinematographers, Gordon and uh, Vittorio Storaro. Not by Vittorio, I don't think. Really? Yeah, because in one of our earlier interviews, um, somewhere you mentioned that you had watched his films together with David. Or Yeah, we, you know, we, we both admire Vittorio, but Vittorio's style is very different from... Of course, yeah, from yeah. Gordon's. Yeah, yeah. and what, what, what's, what's beautiful about Vittorio is that, you know, he's got... Well, just like Gordon, he's, they, they both have tremendous amount of balls. The things, the things that they do, you know, require... I mean, now, now cinematographers um, uh, do implement a lot of courage in their work. Well, they, they, those guys paved the way, though, with, like, shooting darker and things Absolutely. of that nature. You know? Absolutely. And David loves contrasty images, and he, he, he really revels in the fact that, you know, you could actually tell much more by, um, um, by underlighting than overlighting. You know, and that's where I sort of met my match. I was like, "Wow, I love this guy!" You know, and what's amazing, what's amazing, what 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 was always amazing is that, you know, you're when you're questioned, you're not questioned. You're not questioned to feel like you have to defend your position because you're threatened, which is a skill of absolute perfection to have. You know, not to not to threaten people when you when you ask them questions. When David asks you a question, he asks it from the point of uh, view of l- sort of like learning. You know, it's like he wants to know. Uh, so when shooting for him, therefore, is very, very simple, very easy. You know, he's got a tremendous respect for the craft of cinematography. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gordon Willis even was name-dropped in an early episode when uh, Carmela and a priest are watching Godfather 2 on DVD. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I, he told me he really enjoyed that, by the way. So I asked him about it. Did you see your moment on The Sopranos and he was laughing and he thought it was funny. Right. Gordon, that is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know if Gordon even is aware of the fact that, you know, he his style is very much like Eastern Euro- European cinematography. I think he does, yeah. I mean, I've talked to him about that and some of his influences and he seems to have more of that art house sensibility and the way he shoots architecture and... But I also, I also think the way he relates to light, you know, like, like um, the weight of the images that is being presented. I mean, look, look at Clute. You know, it's really a minimalistic masterpiece if you think of it, uh-huh. right? There's not much lighting that was done there, and yet it was done through such perfection. It was just like, it's it's minimalist techniques of lighting. Yeah, it shows you just what you need to see in exactly. little pieces of exactly, and that's what your Eastern European cinematographers were trained to do from day one. You know, because you don't have anything, like I said before. You know, the outmoded Soviet technology uh, and the lack of certain equipment was shaping your mind to create certain things by things that you didn't have to work with. You know, so, so you, had to, you had to be inventive. You had to find ways to depict something. And film stocks were horribly slow. Yeah, I still watch uh, I Am Cuba and just wonder how the hell they got some of those shots with the, the camera going into the water and flying over the streets. And, you know, but very the same, inventive. same cinematographer, Sergei Rusevsky, you know, he shot a wonderful film, uh, which is not known here, called Unsent Letter. Mm-hmm. It's all exterior. It's all in Siberian woods. And uh, very little light was uh, used there because it was deep in Siberian woods. And yes, obviously, they were waiting for light. Yes, they, were, they had small generated equipment there. Uh, but what he does there is absolutely stunning, and it's inspiring. So uh, you know, the, the, the Sopranos uh, camera style is fairly classical, and um, you once told American cinematographer that you actually had to talk David out of adopting a more mobile camera style. Was that because you were following sort of the principles of Gordon Willis, or...? No, I thought, I thought in the beginning, 
in the very, very beginning, we're talking about prep for the pilot. Uh, we talked about a lot. We talked a lot about moving the camera, and I sort of thought maybe it was the wrong thing to do. David was curious, you know, and I think I know why David wanted to move the camera. I think he was influenced by Martin Scorsese. Yeah, if you're which, talking about mob movies, it's yeah, uh, The Godfather which, and Goodfellas and everybody else, you know. Right. Which is which is perfectly formidable and and perfectly respectful. I, I, but I thought to myself, what, the weight of the words that he has created, you know, that that was. On the script, when I read the script, you know, uh, I started visualizing how this would be photographed. We talked, I talked with David at Nozim about it. You know, we've, we've, we're talking about pilot. Right. We've um, shot-listed um, everything, I remember, right? And now we started breaking down uh, the scenes into how the camera was going to move. And many times, if it was just to move the camera for the sake of moving the camera would start distracting the audience to the point where they started to pay attention at the camera movement. More than the words in the script. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you've got a script like that, that's one of the things Gordon Willis says about Woody Allen. He said, you know, when you've got the, such great dialogue, you don't want to move around too much because you want people to be able to concentrate on what they're saying. And you know what? I, and that's where, that's, where, that's where I think, you know, the Eastern European mentality comes to fore, for me personally. You know, and that's why I so relate to the Gordon Willis' work is because... Uh, you know, it's like, you know, his, his name was um, Gordon Vilasov. <laughs> you know, it's like that, that kind of uh, uh, mentality. Well, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's good to be able to do that when you actually have a script that's worthy of that kind of approach because, you know, a lot of times it's not and people end up doing camera gymnastics just for the sake of it. And, and you know, you, you, have to, you have to understand, you know, David is a very intelligent guy. If he wants something, he'll get it. Yeah. Right? So, it... You know, he must have thought about certain things, and he realized that you know what, maybe maybe we should not move the camera. Mm-hmm. You know, in certain in certain respect, you know, just park and let let this great drama unfold on its own merit because it has so much there. Right. Right. And to me, now that I look at the uh, what, how many episodes we shot? Eighty-six, 86 altogether. Yeah. Um, I see this canvas that was created. You know, it's really epic. It's an epic. Well, you know, that's why you, you, TV affords you that uh, ability to really get into the characters more than you would in a two-hour movie. And It's you know, 43 two-hour yeah, movies. Exactly. 43 in 10 years. I think that's a tremendous amount of... Uh, of uh, so the, conceptually speaking, you know, if, 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 you're, if you've... You know, nobody knew that this was going to become such a behemoth when, 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 when we started the show, you know. David himself didn't know that it was going to be such... Uh, um, a pop culture phenomenon... No, I mean, look, I, I've, I think it was um, uh, at the end or maybe at the beginning of the second season, uh, which I did not do, I had a conversation with David and he told me, really, I have to say, I'm actually surprised that, that American people got it, you know, and uh, I think he gained this respect for the American people uh, and, and, and that there is an intelligent process along the way that... that um, I think, yeah, seeing how, how involved people have gotten with dissecting it proves that uh, there's a hunger for that kind of material if you present it to them. Yeah, and, and I, I, actually, I actually think it, it may have, and, and at, some, at some level, you know, may have fueled um, and energized David to do more because 
because you know the reception was yeah, the feedback ph- phenomenal. Yeah. You know, darkness, shadows, and silhouettes are used uh, very artfully on the show. Uh, but you always contrast those noir-like scenes with more straightforward scenes of the characters at home with their families or in other everyday situations. Uh, were you specifically trying to illustrate the sort of the overt and covert aspects of these ca- gangsters' lives, showing them you know in dark, hidden spaces and then contrasting it with bright, open spaces? I don't know if every frame gets intellectualized like that or every scene gets, uh, gets intellectualized like that. I don't know about that. I, the, way, the way I personally inter- interpret a script, I'm a very in- instinctual person. You know, I trust my instincts. You know, they, they don't always work. They're not, they're not always right. But, you know, I don't have anything else to, to, to fall back on. I don't have formal um, um, cinematography education, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but my instincts tell me that if I read something that, that, that uh, if I read something and I feel, I just feel it, just, it just feels like, you know, this should not receive um, an overlighting or, or, or I should try and be a little bit more thoughtful with the lighting approach here. You know, there's something going on here which sometimes I cannot even put my finger on or cannot even um, uh, verbalize through, through the through the means of my mind, whatever it is. I don't, I don't know how to even express myself, but I read it, I, and something tells me inside that, you know what, keep this dark. Keep this moody. Keep this, this. You know, it's just like... Well, yeah, in one interview you gave with the American Cinematographer, you mentioned that when you shoot the pork store, Satrial's pork store, where the hideout is, um, you would always try to show the exterior in really blinding light and uh, use wider-angle lenses to give it sort of an otherworldly quality. I guess that's one of those things where, you know, the viewer might pick up on it subconsciously, but... Yeah, I changed that. I uh, halfway through a third season, uh, uh, we we started we started going towards more um, conventional lensing, so to speak. You know, where um, less wide-angle lenses were uh, used. You know, I'm very proud of what we did on the pilot and and the first two or three episodes because they were very expressive and they spoke uh, of that. To me personally, of late 1950s cinema that Sergei Rusevsky used to experiment with um, in uh, Cranes of Flying and uh, Unsent Letter, and uh, um, there's another film that's called um, was uh, I think it was 41st, the title of it was. Anyway, um, but you know it was very expressive, and 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 therefore it was calling a little too much attention to itself, and David picked up on it right away. You know, I think we talked about it, and I think we 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 we. Well, you you did actually. Uh, one quick comment you made uh, at one point was, um, you know, you mentioned once that Russian cinematographers are very anti-glamour in their work, focusing more on texture and mood. So is that uh, yeah. sort of the direction you started to take? Yeah. Now, um, yeah, I also wanted to discuss a little bit of your technical approach to some of the key sets. Uh, you know, the Sopranos' home was pre-rigged with various lighting fixtures, and which gave you a number of advantages. Uh, can you tell us how that strategy helped you aesthetically and on a, a fast TV schedule? The, one of the most important things that sort of had to evolve is to create the lights we called whiteies. What whiteies are is um, it's a really a four-foot ba- four bat uh, with 16... 100-watt bulbs in them, and uh, I needed to encase it, you know. It was very successfully used by a lot of cinematographers over the years, and uh, one of them was Dante Spinotti. Uh, so when I, when, I, when I started with the series, um, I realized that, you know, I needed, to, I needed to work really fast, and I also wanted to create um, the mood that didn't speak of cinema equipment, 
it had the quality of the home lighting, right? And 100 watt bulbs just give you that kind of quality, you know, when they strip together in, uh, in rows of 16. Uh, so I needed to find ways to encase it, and so we created these troughs. Uh, and these troughs were built around the, um, uh, around the perimeter of the sets. And the trough is like a sort of a... Uh, it's like Long. it's basically basically um, like box them in such that you have a, a four foot by one foot box, mm-hmm. right? Uh, then later on uh, we decided that we needed to control the spill because it, it spills everywhere, right? So then um, we we uh, put a crate into it. Uh-huh. You know, uh, uh, the crates didn't come; in, uh, uh, they were produced as white, so we had to paint them to black and all that. Right. Um, and so this, this was just the, the f- first steps of, um, very, very first steps of trying to create something that we could control and install quickly and light with. Uh, and uh, producers gave me an okay to build, to build the boxes, to build the lights and uh, build them out of uh, material, out of metal. And so we started building those. And I think by the time the show ended, we had like 200 or 300 lights that were built specifically for that purpose. And uh, now I don't go anywhere without those lights. But, you know, the, doing that also kept the, the floor more clear, I'm sure, for blocking and freed up the actors a little more. And, you know. I, don't like lighting, I don't like lighting from the floor. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not a big, I'm not a big proponent of, of trying to constrict director in a way that, you know, he, he, he can go mad. Yeah, he has to work around these, yeah. all these things to anybody. I mean, and, I'm sure. And that's, that's where imperfection in my lighting comes from. You know, like my, my lighting is not, is not classic, beautiful, you know, polished lighting. Mm-hmm. I actually detest that sort of lighting. You know, the, the lighting that I, uh, you know, that my instinct tells me has to be natural. You know, has to be, it has to serve the scene. It doesn't have to serve the actors. You know what I mean? It has to serve the mood. It doesn't have to serve the beauty of, uh, you know, their eye shadows. I don't care about that stuff. And therefore, I'm not working in Hollywood, and I'm not working um, um, in big feature films. Well, you know, and luckily you're dealing in the show with gangsters who don't have to look like pretty boys. Most well, of look, I mean, you know, we have ladies on the show, and we have to pay attention to them. But I'm not God. I cannot fix certain blemishes or problems, and I let, I let go of them. Um, uh, you know, in terms of, like... The lighting of the characters, um, I did want to ask you about uh, lighting certain characters, especially Tony. Uh, you know, throughout the show, we often have to interpret what Tony is thinking from the look in his face or his gestures or the way he's lit and framed. Uh, and what kind of relationship did you develop with Jim Gandolfini in terms of building the character and emphasizing his emotional states? Jim is great. I mean, you know, he's, he's a funny guy. He breaks my balls all the time. <laughs> you know. Well, that's what you'd like, expect from he's, Tony. Yeah, he's like, hey, you, Rasputin. Hurry it up! <laughs> That's what he calls me, so Rasputin. So, I don't know. I um, he's great. I mean, you know, he's very easy to work with and light. I mean, you know, he takes light really well. Sometimes I go, I just screwed up so bad, you know. And then Jim walks in and he looks great. <laughs> well, he does have a certain presence. That's uh, yeah. for sure, you know. And many times, you know, you start polishing the light, you go like, oh my god. This looks too too beautiful. To this, to that. Jim walks in. I look. Oh my God! He looks like the guy from a magazine, you know. So I start turning things off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I work very fast. Yeah, yeah. But did, 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 were you trying to do anything in particular to give him this presence of you know because he's the boss and? Well, you have to do certain things. I mean, you know, he's got an architecture of the face that requires 
Yeah, you pay attention where you put the camera, basically. And uh, he can handle a lot of things, but, you know, there's some certain things that he doesn't particularly look good. And, and I try not to do them. I don't want to talk about those. But, uh, you know, what's, what's good about Jimmy is that if you need to fix something and he can help you fix it, he'll do it for you. And you'll tell him, listen, Jim, can you look a little bit more that way? Uh, can you favor it, uh, that light over there? Right, and, right. and he'll do it. Yeah. Now, um, uh, what, what kind of planning did you do for the show's more violent scenes? I mean, there's plenty to choose from, and uh, most of them are really memorable, the killings. I mean, uh, I thought that uh, crushing Phil Leotardo's head with an SUV was particularly inspired. You know, you have to admit, I uh, laughed out loud when you cut away to Phil's grandchildren uh, bouncing in their baby seats as the car rolled over his skull. <laughs> I mean, uh, did you guys just sit around thinking of the most clever ways to kill off people? Or <laughs> Well, I have to say, um, the... We talked a lot about it. We storyboarded the whole thing. Uh, everyone had to have the plan, you know. So when you when you go into the like, for instance, if if um, you have a scene in which uh, Michael Imperioli's car, you know, loses loses control and then he tumbles down the side of the road, in which you know Tony kills him, that requires very careful planning. That was like five or six cameras, I think, five cameras. Same here. I mean, when we talked about... Initially, when I read this, this scene, it was... Wow! <laughs> so I well, it just to, takes it to the next yeah, level when the car yeah. starts rolling, you know? Right. And then, and then you know, then we were talking. David and I were talking, 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 and then we started breaking it down. We started breaking it down into shots. And then I started realizing that, you know, there are certain angles that would be very descriptive and others wouldn't and you know so that's sort of you know experimentation you know we it's just sort of you sort of spell the whole thing out when you see the wheel moving and the, the gear shift going to drive and it's like oh no this is they're not really going to do this are they and sure enough <laughs> well I think what it was is that you know after after uh, after we realized what needed to be done uh, we invited storyboard artist um, Carl very good storyboard artist um, and um David and I were talking to him, and, and this whole thing evolved. You know, um, the actual shot, the actual shot of um, over the wheel as the as the uh -huh. car approaching the head. I didn't have time to finish, so you know, Billy Billy Coleman has finished it for me. Okay. Yeah, but it was all pre pre rigged and pre designed. Um, was that a dummy that you used for the the yeah. shot with it? Okay. Steve Steve Kelly was our uh, makeup person who has created the dummy. And so it was as the wheels about to hit the head, it would just switch to a fill dummy. Yeah, <laughs> it was really amazing. Uh, starting in the first season, you actually uh, alternated episodes with another guy named Phil uh, Phil Abraham, the other cinematographer. Uh, how did you two work together to keep the look of the show consistent from week to week? I mean, how did you well interact with Phil? Phil was Phil was my operator for our first uh, six episodes. The way I came into the show. Um, I was not interested in doing the series after the pilot. I wanted to go back to doing features. David called me and he asked me to do the series. And I couldn't commit for the whole year because I had a film which I uh, was going to uh, uh, make myself avail available for um, Michael DiGiacomo, who directed Animals, which I shot for him. And Michael and I have a very special relationship, and I didn't want to let go of that. Um, to this day, I love him. He's a wonderful guy. Um, so I explained to David that I can only probably do five episodes or maybe six I don't think he was too happy about it and so I told him listen I'll hire an operator 
and I'll train him. He'll be there from day one. You know, the integrity of the lighting and, and the look and, and all, of this, all of this is not going to suffer. You know, you'll be pleased. David was on the fence, as you could imagine, you know, anyone would be. But, you know, he had enough um, trust, I suppose, to, to let it happen. And so Phil was there from day one. He also did the, probably a, a day, maybe a day or two of um, second unit for me on the pilot. He shot a couple of things on the highway, I think. You know, and, David, and, and, and you know, uh, Phil is a very intelligent guy. I explained to him the whole situation. And it just so happened that, you know, he was not even my first call. I wanted to have Pat Capone there, you know. And I explained to Pat, listen, I'm going to be gone in five months. I mean, in five episodes. So you will be DP of The Sopranos. I don't think he had, he had complete, tr- complete trust in that process. Uh-huh. So, I, you know, I, I, offered, I offered it to Phil, and Phil said, okay. Uh, he took it, and, you know, um, sure enough, um, I think I left after sixth episode to become available for Michael. Unfortunately, the film never happened, as, as fate would have it. Um, so Phil took over, and, um, you know, much of, much of the design of the show, much of the look of the show was continued by Phil. You know, and uh, I did not return for the second season, and then a third season came along. Eileen wanted to start alternating DPs. So she called me back and she said, are you ready to Soprano again? I said, sure. So we started Soprano again and we were alternating. Now you, you, over the course of the series, you also shot a lot of uh, Tony's dream sequences. Uh, do you have a favorite? Um, I'm just wondering if there's one that was particularly challenging or interesting to shoot out of all of these surreal Well, I, I personally love... Landscapes. Uh, I, I, personally, I personally like what we did where it's not as surreal, it's more... It's, it's more like in a Benuel-like tradition, which is very simple. Um, David Nader show, what was it? Where Tony assumes the identity of the salesman. Oh, yeah, the, the Kevin Finnerty, I think his name yeah. was. Uh, when he goes to... Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's been shot and he's imagining this yeah. other life. Uh-huh. Right. I think that, that probably would be top episode for me. What made it so uh, interesting for you personally? Because it, was not, because it was not made to look like a dream. You know, there was no... It was like, whoa, look at this, it's a dream. <laughs> There's a few of those, too, with the talking fish in yeah. the early episode. And, you know. Right. Which I did not do, I don't think. I don't think I did that. I think it's Phil who did it. I mean, do you have a particular favorite episode that you look back on now and say, that was the one that I really enjoyed doing the most or that turned out the best? Or? Pilot and a finale. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Great bookends, you know. And I think, I think much of it has to do with uh, David and his intellect and... His respect. I mean, no, a, lot, a lot of the symbolism and the things that were in the show were those always written into the script, or did you sometimes come up with those on the fly? You know, the little uh, in jokes to cinematography and uh, references to mob movies and. Well, no, I think it's all. It was all very carefully conceived uh, at the writing stage. I think those guys, you know, they they don't miss a bit there. They they just they're very 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 extremely. Um, Thoughtful, the process of writing. I mean, you know, the control of that written word is, you know, I don't think KJB had that control. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, I think I think it shows in the final product, obviously. You know, right? I mean, those actors, if they wanted to change that word, they had to go all the way to Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know you have a, a meeting later this morning, so I'll, I'll wrap things up here. Can you tell us what your next uh, project might be? I've been 
busy for 10 years straight. I, I, I want to take a, bit, uh, a little bit of time off. And, uh, and then see you after that. And spend some time with my family. I have a 13-month-old daughter. So, you know, the two other kids, I didn't see them grow up much. So I want to spend a little time home. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still missing uh, Rome, which is uh, another great HBO show that you uh, shot for two seasons. Um, maybe you missed doing that show. It's I missed it tremendously. Yeah, it was a I love great. that show. I, I have very special uh, place in my heart for that show for several reasons, one of which, you know, uh, they let me direct, um, which I just enjoyed tremendously. And one of the reasons why I want to take a break from cinematography is see if I can direct more. We'll see how that goes. You know, yeah. I'm, I have the utmost confidence in you, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, thanks very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to visit with us. And, uh, oh, I have one last question. Uh, yeah. You're Russian, and I'm sure you hear things. Uh, now that the show is over, can you finally tell us what happened to the Russian who escaped from the woods in the Pine Barrens episode? Well, 